is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. The pandemic now the big reason for a major shortage impacting food in the U.S., specifically chicken. There's a national chicken shortage right now. If you thought finding toilet paper was hard, just wait until you hear you can't get that favorite chicken sandwich. Poultry processors struggling to keep up with demand. And uh, hot wings are included. Then there's gasoline. You've seen prices at the pump go up and up. Will there be enough supply to meet all the demand as more and more people travel over the spring and over the summer? Latest numbers on the economy making a strong comeback. That's what they show. Lots of U.S. military troops skipping the vaccine. But why? Disneyland back open. We'll talk with a superfan who's there for day one. But first, we start with the lack of chicken. Ananth Iyer, Chair of Operations Management at Purdue University School of Management. Rob Archer was with me to ask what's behind the chicken shortage. So there are two sides to this equation. One is uh, rising demand. There's a greater number of people doing carryout. Uh, stores are having 60% of their sales through carryout. And chicken is a very you know, large portion of the carryout market. So that's one. But we've also had supply side issues. Uh, everybody remembers the Texas winter storm, which affected several plants. Uh, but there are also issues uh, regarding getting all the employees vaccinated at these uh, chicken processing plants, labor shortages at the plants, labor uh, shortages in terms of drivers to get things. So these are the, the supply and demand issues. Now, the good news is all this will get sorted out. This is a short-term problem. And whenever these issues arise, uh, further upstream, uh, the chicken plants are already preparing for an increase uh, in the eggs being hatched, et cetera. So this is, a, this is, a, this is an irritant, but this is a short-term problem. Um, but the hope is that there would be greater access to vaccines for the workers in the plants, and there would be greater acceptance of that vaccine. That is a, a, a crucial issue that we need to get sorted out. What is it affecting? Is it kind of across the board? Like I'm going to go to the grocery store and I'm looking for chicken breasts and it's going to be a shorter supply than usual. Or we mentioned the chicken sandwich thing. I mean, every fast food chain has a chicken yes. sandwich now. Are they yeah. having trouble making those? So these are related. And the and the one reason you know there's a, there's a tight market is that prices are going up. And so that is the problem. So when prices go up, uh, retail stores will probably adjust because customers will immediately adjust what they consume. But at the restaurant level, that's where it starts biting because uh, restaurant owners are very reluctant to raise prices because they'll scare away customers. So that is what is the challenge right now. Inventories are low, prices are going up, and it'll take a little time for this to adjust. Not a lot, but uh, but that is something that we're facing right now. Increase in demand, and issues with respect to supply, I would say supply volatility, because when people don't show up to work, they haven't, you know, they don't know what's happening, or they may have somebody at home uh, who's been who's been infected at the quarantine. So that is the issue we're dealing with right now. You know, just recently we had a uh, ketchup packet shortage, and I had <laughs> I had a few uh, ketchup packets in my locker <laughs> where I, you know, I, I put aside some extra ones, and now I'm I'm sitting in the gold wealthy, line. Yes. So I I have I have a, a package of chicken thighs in my freezer at home. <laughs> uh, am I sitting in a gold mine with that, or and if so, should I sell it quickly before the market comes back? No, no, no. Ration it to yourself so you can treat yourself, <laughs> and you can you can feel better about this this gold treat you're giving yourself. No, I think this is this is going to get sorted out, sorted out soon. But uh, in the short run, 
what will need to happen is for people to be a little patient while this gets sorted out. I think the most important thing I would look for, which is really what would be, is solving the labor vaccination issue at the chicken processing plants, because that getting out of control would be a bigger problem, like we had way back, uh, you know, last year or somewhere mid mid year. Uh, but I think with all the vaccine availability, I saw a little blurb, you know, in the early part of your show, with the vaccines being available, what we only need is whether we need to have incentives for employees to get vaccinated or we mandate them. Something needs to happen so that they are well taken care of and we don't put ourselves in the situation that we have uh, severe labor shortages at that time. Ananth Iyer, Chair in Operations Management, Purdue University School of Management. See, now you flipped and now it's like steak every night, mm-hmm. right? And then chicken yeah. for this special yeah. occasion. Yeah. 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 But it'll go back. Then we'll be doing the steak and the hamburgers again. <laughs> the gas prices have been going up lots lately. Big reason is more people are driving again. Demand equals higher prices. Tom Closa, Global Head of Energy Analysis at the Oil Price Information Service. Rob and I asked him if there's enough supply. Uh, yes and no. There, there is enough supply in terms of California, although, you know, that state, I would say every year is one refinery problem away from a supply issue. But generally throughout the country and in California, there's enough supply, there's enough refining. The problem comes there in that there aren't enough drivers to take those wonderful tank trucks, like you see in the Mad Max movies, <laughs> to the stations. And if we get demand that matches let's say, a typical summer from 2016 to 2019, there probably aren't enough drivers. So it really comes down to uh, trying to convince people to stay calm, not to hoard, not to top off their tank, or else it will be a self-fulfilling prophecy that as they look to top their tanks off, they will create a problem. I was going to say, I want to talk about the drivers in a second, but we were talking even before we got on the show. I said, you know what's going to happen is the first station that doesn't have gas, it's going to get out there and then everybody, it's going to be the toilet paper thing, right? Just because you see people buying toilet paper, you're going to buy toilet paper. I'm not going to be left out of this. So suddenly everyone runs to the gas stations. Yeah, there's a, there's a great uh, philosophical quote that says, given the choice, the crowd will always choose Barabbas, which is to say the crowd will always make the wrong choice. So, you know, we we really debated whether we should write about this and whether we should underscore what the problem was, because we're af- afraid that it would be perceived as, you know, yelling fire in a crowded theater. I don't think it is. Uh, I would hope that people would behave themselves. And we're not going to see demand on a consistent basis like it was from 2016 to 2019. Commuter demand will stay stifled a little bit. But if you're going to the national parks or you're going to some of the the off-the-road destinations, those are the last places that maybe the tanker trucks go to because they're a long way from the terminals. And it's expensive and it's not, you know, particularly prudent to send the drivers or keep the drivers on those long hauls. Uh, Mike and I were discussing that uh, we have earthquake anxiety, and we don't like to let our gas tanks no. get too low. We always like to make sure we've got gas in the tank. When it gets to in half, case, fill in it case up. you got to take off and you can't get to a gas station, is there a possibility of a shortage hitting that bad that suddenly maybe like a, a sharp uh, spike in uh, unavailability? And should we should we maybe not let our gas tanks go down below a half tank? Well, you know, what I think is going to happen is that the stations, which normally operate like day traders and sometimes buy when the price is dropping and 
and put off or, or delay buying when the price is going higher, uh, they will keep full. Now, we haven't really seen a keep fill strategy for gasoline stations in this country in many, many years, decades. So that might happen. But, you know, I'd like to tell people to stay calm. Uh, you know, you're not going to be cigarettes. Uh, I guess you can get weed in California or whatever. But relax. <laughs> because if you're all relax, everything will be fine. The drivers, what happened there? I imagine they're going to try and, you know, fill those seats. But A, not everybody can drive one of the tanker trucks, right? It takes training. It takes a special license. Did did we see retirements over the pandemic? Did they switch jobs because gas demand really fell off for a while there? So maybe they were driving for Amazon. Well, you know, there are there is talk, and I'm not sure if it's apocryphal, that a lot of drivers went to work for Amazon. But certainly, you know, we were using not barrels a day or about 400 million gallons a day of gasoline in typical summers. Then last summer, uh, it, it was sliced to perhaps 250 million. And that meant that instead of 50,000 trucks on the road every day hauling fuel, there might have been 30,000. So a lot of drivers gave up, lost their jobs, and they went elsewhere, whether it be Amazon, UPS, or got jobs outside of the driving business. So uh, it's a tough job. Let, let's face it. We probably don't have a lot of uh, empathy for the people that trade futures or trade paper, uh, uh, you know, fuel contracts and stuff. But it's uh, it, it's hard not to have some sympathy and empathy for the drivers. Tom Closa, Global Head of Energy Analysis, the Oil Price Information Service. Tom, thanks. Well, the economy headed in the right direction again. Unemployment going the right way. GDP numbers show a consumer-fueled economy going wild in a good way. There are more and more reopenings. People are spending. So that's all a list of good things, right? Well, KYW's Matt Leon talks to Villanova School of Business professor David Fiorenza about what this all means for uh, all of us. He started by talking about a drop in the jobless claims. I think it's great. We're seeing a couple of weeks of downward trend, which means the economy is opening up. It means people are getting vaccinated. People are becoming more careful and that different places throughout the economy are opening up from restaurants to uh, retail. Everywhere you go, tourism, it's starting to really open up. GDP, we knew it was going to be good. Talk to me a little bit before we talk about the numbers, like dig into the good news about them. I've seen some places report GDP 1.6% and other places report it at 6.4%. The 6.4% is annualized. Explain what that means, the difference, because I think people that aren't familiar might read separate articles with same numbers that seem like they're talking about the same thing. Right. So when you annualize something, it's like a rolling number. You're taking the uh, 12 months worth of an average. So next quarter, we're going to drop off the, the quarter from 12 months ago and add the new quarter. So 6.4 is the number I'm going to go with from the Bureau of Economic Analysis. We had a, a strong fourth quarter. I don't mind that. It was about 4.3%. The third quarter was, was about 32%. The second quarter was the one that was really bad. It was down negative 30 uh, in that range. So when we do quarter number two, we're going to drop off that negative 30 number, and we're going to have four numbers of positive numbers, which is going to make that GDP even shoot up a lot more. And just overall, this GDP number, this is really good news. 
It is good news. That means that it's reflections of people spending money. How do they spend money? They receive some stimulus from the U.S. government, from our federal government. It's also the fact that the that state and local governments are starting to spend money now, too, as well. There's seeing some equilibrium. In other words, if people are going back to work, they're paying various taxes, sales tax, wage taxes. Uh, so that's a good thing. That's all trickle down effect in a positive way. Consumer spending up more than 4%. I thought it was also interesting the savings uh, rate also was up, uh, going from 13% in the fourth quarter to 21% in the first quarter. And we can trace a lot of this to $1,400 checks, can't we? We can. And I don't think savings has been that high what, the last seven years, maybe? Uh, Even if you take the pandemic away, let's go back eight years. Savings rates haven't been that high. It's what we talked about when you give people stimulus checks of 2,000, 1,400, 2,800, there's going to be some savings. Again, you and I discussed this. What do you do when you get money? You either save it, you either spend it, or you pay down debt, or a combination of the three. We've seen things like, uh, I know, uh, New York City decided by July 1st, they're going to fully reopen. And they're going to be ready to go. When you start seeing stories like this, I mean, it's obvious what direction the arrow is pointing in. But like consumer confidence and stuff like that, this really has the feel of momentum, of a boulder rolling downhill. And every week we just get more things that point that things are going in a really good direction. That's correct, Matt. And you said the word boulder. It's a boulder that you don't want to get out of the way on you want to get on that boulder you want to be on that ride because new york the big apple the city that never sleeps the city that has everything from from tourism to broadway to to musicals to everything rock concerts tourism restaurants if they're opening up other places are going to start taking a cue from that and you said it before tourism is really going to hit the roof in the summertime not just at the jersey shore but elsewhere too as well Short break, and then does the military have a vaccine skepticism problem? U.S. military has plenty of vaccine doses right now. They're kind of sitting on them. A third of active duty and National Guard reserve members fully vaccinated. There's talk now in D.C. of requiring all troops to get the vaccine so those numbers can go up. John Pelissero, senior scholar at government at Santa Clara University, also a retired Army captain. Rob and I asked him about what goes into a decision to make the vaccine mandatory. Well, I'm sure what the president and military leaders, both civilian and and uh, those in uniform, are considering is um, uh, whether or not uh, to do an emergency declaration here, much like the CDC has done, and say this is a matter in which we should be mandating the vaccine as a matter of national security. We want uh, our military units to be ready uh, for when they might be needed and to have a threat, a risk of significant numbers of military units uh, potentially coming down with COVID and not being ready, uh, that's, a, that's a serious question for uh, unit readiness and um, a good reason to potentially uh, issue a mandate for the vaccines. Is there a higher than usual resistance to the vaccines among military personnel? And if so, uh, why? Well, in general, there is not. When you have uh, the military requiring vaccines and administering vaccines to most of its service members, uh, except for uh, very uh, few that have some religious objection to this, um, it's just a common practice, and military members know this. 
What's happened in this case with the COVID vaccine is because we're operating under this emergency declaration from the CDC, the uh, military has not mandated it. And since there are so few things in which the uh, service members have an opportunity to make a yes or no decision, many of them seem to be deciding, I'm going to say no to this because I can. And there are very few things in the military that I can say no to. You mentioned the readiness factor. There's there's some other things that go into this, which would lead people to, to think that, yes, people in the military should definitely be getting these shots. I mean, we think about proximity. It's close quarters. You're in these groups together. This is the perfect opportunity for COVID to spread if it gets in. Yes, I, I think what military leaders need to do is is two things. One, they need they need to improve their education programs around the safety and effectiveness of the vaccine. And secondly, they need to raise ethical awareness on the part of service members about the perils that are involved in potentially uh, infecting those in the close quarters uh, that they reside in and in the communities that uh, military members reside in with their family members. So it isn't just military on military that we have to worry about a spread of vaccine. We also have to worry about military members and their families potentially spreading the uh, coronavirus to those in the uh, towns and cities in which uh, their bases and uh, posts are located and potentially spreading to the community because that threatens public health in the communities. You touched on this a couple of minutes ago. Mandatory vaccinations uh, for other things are kind of a way of life for the military. Uh, If they have to make this uh, COVID uh, vaccination mandatory, do you think there's going to be a problem with that? Or or will the soldiers do what they're used to doing and like we follow orders and we're going to get the vaccine? Yes, if it's mandated that the service members are going to follow the orders uh, in most cases and they will uh, obtain the vaccine and they'll probably also encourage their family members to do so. But I, I think raising uh, on the part of all service members a deeper understanding and awareness of the ethical implications of not doing so is really called for at this moment. And it will also uh, improve military readiness at the same time. John Pellicero, senior scholar in government at the Marcula Center for Applied Ethics, Santa Clara University, also retired Army Captain John. Thanks. So you might know this, Disney World has been open since last summer, but Disneyland here in Southern California, it has been closed for a long time because of the pandemic. It changed today, Disneyland and California Adventure, both parks, they open the gates, people put on their masks and their mouse ears to enjoy the parts again. Debbie Wright, news editor here at KNX in Los Angeles, big Disney fan. She told me and Rob about what it was like to finally walk through those gates again right down Main Street. Um, I got here a little bit before 6 because the parking lot opened at 6. I actually ended up being the first one into the parking lot <laughs> just just because they moved the cone just as I turned the corner. So I just went right in. And, um, you know, we kind of were delayed for about 25 minutes and people were going crazy. They kept honking their horns and stuff. And, um, and then we had to walk to the park. And that was about a 15, 20 minute walk. And they actually, the park was supposed to open at 9, and they let everybody in um, by 8 o'clock. Everybody was coming in. And it was fun to walk down Main Street. They had um, all, they had both sides of the street lined up with cast members all waving um, and saying, welcome back, welcome back. And it was just, you know, it really was a lot of fun. So some restrictions are still in place. Uh, What have you noticed, and, and does it make a lot of difference? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, they the capacity, obviously, is about 25% now. So, and they're, the way they're doing the rides, you um, you have to social distance in line. And um, like on Star Tours, for example, which is like a theater-style seating, there's plexiglass between several sections of seats. So you only sit by yourself and or if you have your, you know, like there might be two or three in a row so your family can sit together, but you're separated. And then they have um, some of the seats blocked off so you're not supposed to sit in those areas. So they're keeping, and then they sit every other row. So you're not you're not even behind anybody, you know, the way they have it staggered. And then some of the social distancing, as far as the, um, the ride lines go, um, Pirates of the Caribbean was the, one of the longer lines today. Uh, obviously it's one of the popular rides. So they got to a point where they had to cut off the queue and say, uh, we, we're not letting anybody stand in line anymore because we can't socially distance safely. So you have to come back when the line gets shorter. But, but, you know, the line, even though it seems like it's long, it really was maybe 15 or 20 minutes to wait. It's just because everybody's spaced out. Yeah. Is most of the stuff open or is some of this the more inside things? I guess Pirates is inside, but, but you can go on that. Star Tours is an inside ride, but you can still go on that. So, so it sounds like most of the stuff is, is up and running. Most of it is. There's some that is closed, some of that are closed for refurbishment. Um, and then some are closed because they, they're just a little bit too close inside like the um, the Sleeping Beauty Castle, which is a walking tour uh, through part of the class, uh, a part of the castle uh, up the stairs, and it's a very narrow staircase, so there's not really a way to social distance people. So that's closed. Finding Nemo, uh, the subways, they're not open because you know how tight a squeeze that that is, yeah. that uh, subway is. Um, the bobsleds are closed for refurbishment, as is Buzz Lightyear. And some of the other high-touch areas, like in Toontown, things like that, they're not open because they're just there'd be too many kids touching everything, and there's no way to keep it clean. <laughs> All right, so uh, Disneyland, the, the park was closed down, closed down for 14 months. So a lot of the staff members had not much to do during that time. But now they're all back. Now, the staff at... Uh, Disneyland, always known for smiles on their faces, but now they're wearing masks. You can't tell if they're smiling. Do you think any of them are faking uh, not smiling? No, your eyes are sparkling. <laughs> they're so happy to be back. I mean, it's just, you can see it in their faces. I kind of got a chuckle because, you know, if, if you go to the park, the park is home to a lot of animals. You know, uh, they have, uh, the birds love it here, the ducks love it here, the geese love it here because they're always getting handouts. Well, it was funny because um, you see the ducks flying around and you see the birds all, you know, flitting about here and there and the geese are walking around all. They, yeah, I think even the critters are happy. Oh, the people's back. Our source of food is back. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a French fry. All right. Debbie, I'm glad you got back on day one. That's great. Oh, I am too. Uh, it was a real blessing to me. I I, uh, I am a pass holder, so I was, I was a pass holder, so I wasn't able to, you know, get back. But I ended up getting a ticket through... Um, a friend of my niece's, and uh, she had purchased a ticket last year and was not able to use it this year, so I was able to get her ticket. And it's actually a park hopper pass, but I'm not quite sure I want to <laughs> go to California Adventure right now. <laughs> All right. Debbie Wright, Midday News Editor here at KNX. Debbie, enjoy the rest of the day at the park. There is a chocolate company in Belgium that put white masks on its Easter bunnies a year ago and is now producing large chocolate syringes as it tries to keep up with the evolving trend of the pandemic. While the country is ramping up vaccine distribution, 
Cocoa Tree, touting the natural health benefits of chocolate as a kind of vaccine in its own right against certain conditions. Company founder says it's a symbol of hope, and it's also an antidepressant. She says, above all, it boosts the morale of the troops. You can find this Odyssey original at the Odyssey app and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.